Welcome to Political as Heck, a podcast where we discuss Utah politics and policy. I'm Corey Astle with Utah Senator Todd Weiler. What's up, Todd? Hey, uh, hey Corey. How are you spending your weekend? Well, I'm down in St. George with the family. We're just uh, living the dream, but uh, got a little downtime for the podcast today. That's fabulous. That's fabulous. We just got back from uh, joining half of Utah down in uh, Southern California, Disneyland for, for the fun. fall break. And it was great. And the limitations at Disney, they limit the number of people who can come in, which is still millions, but we actually got on all the rides. So I recommend it to everybody right now. During Yeah, we, we were there one month ago and it was the same. So, All right, let's start on a little bit of a serious note today. U.S. Department of Justice has been investigating Davis County School District and has now issued a report that alleges what they call serious and widespread racial harassment has occurred in Davis County schools for several years. Incidents include, they say, white and other non-black students routinely called black students the N-word and other racial epithets, called them monkeys or apes, and said that their skin was dirty or looked like feces. The report states that, quote, district staff targeted and assaulted students of color, ridiculed students in front of their peers, endorsed uh, pejorative and harmful stereotypes of people of color in, in class, and retaliated against students of color for reporting harassment. So, Todd... These allegations are pretty shocking. They work to me, if true. What do you think needs to be done? Yeah, I mean, I, this is my my homeschool district. This is um, really disappointing to hear. All of my kids, you know, have gone through the Davis schools districts, and and now, as of last May, they've all graduated. And um, this is indefensible conduct. It's intolerable. If it is happening, it absolutely, you know, uh, it, the. And, and I just want to point out to our listeners, our viewers, that this investigation started under Trump. So I saw one of one of the students who I think um, who's complained on Twitter yesterday saying, you know, if you have any questions, ask me. So nobody nobody should be treated like this. And yeah. uh, um, I'm, I'm just hoping that it's it's not uh, widespread. Yeah. I mean, even if we chalk this up to a few bad eggs behaving poorly, I mean, I think what the what DOJ is saying here is that teachers and faculty actually knew what was going on and did nothing. And in some cases even joined in the ridicule, which, you know, I find incredibly disappointing. The report says that the district's own documents show it had actual knowledge of at least 212 incidents across 27 schools. Wow. Oh man. So you have a, I also had a white student dressed as Hitler for Halloween, which on the one hand, you're kind of like, what, but I mean, why are school, why does the school think that's okay? And, uh, and they're not allowing black students to have clubs. So if, if this stuff is true, it's just, as you said, it's just so disappointing and so completely unacceptable. You and I have railed against political correctness and the many efforts to impose groupthink on our children in schools. But what we're talking about here is not that. Uh, no. This is not oversensitive snowflakes throwing a tantrum. I mean, if these allegations are true, what we have here is real mistreatment in a hostile environment for our children, and that's not okay. And yeah. uh, I think it's a failure of leadership and, and they've, it's a failure of trust. So we need, we need some accountability. We, we, we can and we must do better. All right. And the last uh, example of mainstream news media uh, further undermining their credibility with the public, uh, former Today Show host Katie Couric revealed that she edited out comments from RBG, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Um, which the Supreme Court justice accused those who were kneeling during the national anthem of showing contempt for a government 
that has made it possible for their parents and grandparents to live a decent life. So Corey, aren't instances like these the reasons why so many Americans at, at a higher percentage than ever before in 2021 have lost faith in the mainstream news media? Absolutely. The left-wing media likes to call this the era of fake news, and we hear fake news all day, every day. I call it the death of expertise. I mean, at this point, everything is agenda-driven. Even, you know, the CDC, prominent epidemiologists have made a mockery of science. You need to be vaccinated, tested, and double masks just to go to work, but totally okay to toss out all protocols if you're protesting the right, the correct progressive cause. And the news media is no different. I'm a professional consumer of news, and what I mean by that is just as part of my job, it's like a key element. And in many ways, you could say I get paid to read the news, which in some ways is kind of cool. But at this point, I don't read anything as settled fact. I don't read anything as uh, this is the quote unquote uh, capital T truth. You got to read multiple sources. And I get to because, you know, I, I can because of my situation. But, you know, you can't take anything as settled truth. That's what's sad. I mean, you have to read everything nowadays is someone's a journalist perspective and mainstream journalists today, more often than not, see their role as they're the tip of the spear of the revolution. You know, they're not there yeah. to find the truth. They, they see themselves as sculptors and teachers for what they deem to be a higher cause. And they're going to bring you to it. And they're just as concerned with carrying a narrative as any politician that I've ever seen or worked with. Yeah. I probably don't need to tell you that that narrative nine times out of 10 is a progressive agenda. So in this case, Katie Couric, thinks she did the right thing. That's what's so frustrating about this. And that's what makes it intractable is she actually thinks that she did right by the world, saving Ruth Ginsburg from herself. You yeah. know, she edits Ginsburg's comments because surely Ginsburg couldn't possibly be siding with the knuckle dragging Neanderthals on this. But the fact well, is, I mean, this is a majority view in America. And more importantly, she was trying to make sure that Ruth Bader Ginsburg wasn't reflected in a, a, a negative light to liberals. Now, yeah. let's pretend like she was, you know, instead of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, she was um, interviewing Brett Kavanaugh and he said something controversial. Do you think she would have edited that out? Um, and, and, and that's the problem is, A, the media should be reporting the news and not trying to slant it one way or another. And B, the media should not be treating uh, Democrat-appointed liberal justices one way and Republican-appointed conservative justices in a different way. And you and I, Corey, we both know that that's exactly what is happening on, on, on not just that one Katie Cork interview, but on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. I mean, it just takes a blowtorch to credibility. And we, I mean, the public already doesn't, doesn't trust the news media and things like this, where Katie Couric is supposed to be, you know, perky Katie who can be trustworthy on the Today Show and everything. And it turns out, yeah. oh, no, she also has an agenda that she's, that yeah, she's trying this to. This is the same Katie Couric that, you know, uh, interviewed Sarah Palin and really kind of brought the house down because yeah, you know, yeah. kind of exposed some huge gaps in, in Sarah Palin's not only knowledge, but experience. And, you know, I can promise you, she didn't edit anything out that would have made right. Sarah Palin look bad. Right. So, and we should note that, I'm okay with that. Look, I mean, you ask the questions and they answer, they answer the questions yeah, and then you yeah. report it. So be yeah. it. All right. So the border still under siege brought on by the policies and rhetoric of this administration. But this week, Biden started coming around to reality just a tiny bit after labeling president Trump's remain in Mexico policy as racist and xenophobic. Of course, everything Trump does is racist and xenophobic. So what's news there? 
But Biden has decided to re-implement this Remain in Mexico policy. Todd, what is the Remain in Mexico policy and what does it mean for Biden's open borders? Well, so the problem and, you know, I, I just want to first off, just get the cat out of the bag. I am I'm not anti-immigrant. I've never been anti-immigrant. And there are some elements in the Republican Party um, that that make me uncomfortable because I think that um, I think you can be anti-immigrant without being overtly racist. But I think that some sometimes the two are blended a little bit. And I and I don't support um, and agree with racism in any form. So so the, the problem is, is if somebody apl- applies basically for political asylum and, and the, the way our government works with this is they basically say, OK, well, here's a court date. Come back in seven weeks and appear before this judge. And then they're just released into the U.S. And of course, you probably recognize and I'm constantly having to remind people of this. When you drive from Utah to Idaho, nobody stops you at the state line and asks you for papers. And so I, I constantly have people asking me, so so these refugees or these immigrants, they get in the country and they can come they can come to Utah. Yeah, once they're in the country, you know, they're wherever they, they want travel wherever they want, you know, just like you can travel, Corey, to Disneyland without having to show anybody in California or Nevada or Arizona on the way you know, who you are and where you live and everything else. So, you know, that's, that's, that's the freedoms that we enjoy living in this country. And so the reason I say that is because a very high percentage, I think above 80, probably above 90, maybe above 95% of these people will not show up for their immigration or their, their hearing. And many of them are probably hundreds, if not thousands of miles away uh, at that time, or, you know, they've lost the piece of paper that told them what to do or they didn't understand in the first place because they don't speak English or, or whatever. And so the Remain in Mexico policy is you can apply for the, that political asylum, but then you're going to go, you're going to remain in Mexico while you're waiting for the hearing. And that way, it uh, the chances of you showing up for that hearing go up, uh, you know, I don't know, a thousand percent. So yeah. I mean, that, that's probably an oversimplification. But the important political aspect is a year ago this week, Joe Biden tweeted that it was a dangerous and horrible policy that that he would end immediately, which he did. Uh, but now he's uh, well been forced by the courts to keep it in place because yeah. he just like Trump and ending some of Obama's bad policies. Uh, Joe Biden didn't go through the necessary steps, um, you know, to to end that policy. And by the way, I just want to point out, I, I believe and if I'm wrong, I, I apologize, but I believe it was Democrats suing Trump who have now the Supreme Court has kind of set this precedent precedent of what a president has to do to end a former president's policies. And so I, I think that without the Democrats trying to do a got you on Trump at every turn, we wouldn't have this precedent. But now this precedent has been used against the Biden administration more than once. Careful what you wish for. For sure. So p- part of Remain in Mexico, at least for the Biden administration, is they're going to rely on provision in law that allows expulsion of Ill- illegal immigrants to stem the tide of COVID. You know, this is a COVID thing. Yeah. And uh, I just want to know, like, I mean, it's pretty outrageous that Biden is compelling employees all across America to either get vaccinated or lose their jobs. And, and meanwhile, tens of thousands yeah. of immigrants are allowed in the country without any COVID screening, let alone like any requirement to show proof of vaccination. Do we think? And, and let me just say that that's a common sense statement that you made. But so many liberals, if you make that, say, oh, so you're xenophobic and you're anti-racist. <laughs> no, we're just saying that it's a double standard. Why would yeah. immigrants not have to be vaccinated? 
and get a complete total free pass and hardworking American taxpayers yeah. have to be vaccinated or they're going to be fired from their jobs. Yeah, you can't drive a truck without being vaccinated. But, uh, you know, hey, come on across the border. But anyway, uh, a couple stats. You know, we've talked about this before, but I, I'm just one, I think it's worth mentioning. This year, the Border Patrol has apprehended 1.7 million illegal immigrants. Now, not all. Again, these are not all like very few of them are actually Mexican anymore. A lot of them are from the, the uh, Central American Triangle and and then and Haiti. Uh, Haiti. And of Haiti. course, they speak French. But anyway, that's that sets the all time record. We still have two months left. I don't blame these immigrants for coming. Uh, I uh, totally understand why they're coming. And especially in this context where President Biden has sent out the bat signal to the world that America's borders are open. I love that. I love that. That's exactly what he's done. That's perfect. Bat signal. I haven't heard that before. (laughs) And the administration has very little respect for the integrity of our borders. Frankly, many elements, not all. But many elements in the Democratic Party don't think that we should even have borders. They think the border itself is racist and xenophobic. And uh, frankly, this is not what voters want. And remember, Trump in 2020, he won uh, some of these majority Hispanic counties. Some of these counties are 90 plus percent Hispanic, some of them like 99 percent. Trump won them. First time a Republican has ever won. And uh, Dems are seeing this and they're starting to fear that maybe these counties are going to turn Republican for the long haul because the polling there is still bad for them. And I mean, I think several things are happening, but at least one of them is that they don't want open borders. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and the Biden administration is seeing this and seeing the pushback and they feel like, oh, crap, maybe we need to do something. So that's why they're reimposing the Remain in Mexico policy. Let's be honest. Their, their views have not changed. It's that the political reality has changed. And that's what's motivating them. Yeah. And it's, it's really insulting, I think, to our friends in the, in the Hispanic community and other, um, you know, a black community and other, you know, Asian community, et cetera that Democrats just assume that if you're not white, uh, you should be voting Democrat. And if, if, you're, if you're black in America or Hispanic and you're voting Republican, they think that there's something wrong with you. And you know what? Um, may, maybe they're thinking for themselves and maybe they value, they, 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 you know, they value some you know, principles that Republicans endure. Um, and, and, and I just think it's so insulting to them to, to, to expect and assume that every Hispanic voter is going to vote D every election because they're not. So I, I'll, I'll tell you in my own little circle of influence, I've got some neighbors two streets over who I love to death, who are Hispanic, and they are the biggest Trump fans in my <laughs> And they go to all of the truck rallies and they fly their trunk flat, trunk, uh, Trump flags and drive around. And it's just, it's so ironic to me that, uh, but, but that's the case. And so, and, and the media doesn't want, you know, they can't explain these people and there's, there's millions, there's hundreds of thousands of them throughout the country. Um, they, they just think if you're Hispanic, you should hate Trump and you should vote Democrat every election. And it's an insult. And Corey, Joe Biden's poll numbers continue uh, to just, I mean, he was doing really pretty well in the polls up until this whole Afghanistan withdrawal. And he just seems to be in a a tailspin um, while congressional Democrats were over the huge social spending bill that I I don't think the mainstream, you know, right leaning uh, central, you know, American wants, uh, you know, and the, the big debate is, oh, you know, we need. 1.9 1.9 trillion plus 3.5 trillion, and why can't we have everything we want for Christmas and more? But um, even if they find a way to pass this disastrous spending bill, uh, do you think it'll save the House for Democrats in 2022? 
Thankfully, with their slim majorities, the Democrats are struggling immensely to find consensus. You know, we've mentioned previously on this podcast the tremendous power yielded by a couple of moderate U.S. senators, Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema. Incidentally, Kirsten Sinema, senator from Arizona, she does have some Utah ties. She grew up LDS and she graduated from BYU, so does have some connection. And in any case, it is thanks to her, thanks to Joe Manchin, that this bill may shrink from three and a half or four trillion to maybe under two trillion, which is still abominably high, but uh, moving in the right direction at least. But it was reported this week that Manchin was thinking about, well, threatening to leave the Democratic Party. I don't see that happening. And I know people close with him, not least because right now he's sitting at the apex of his power. But I mean, right now you have far left progressives trying to include the sun, the moon and the stars in left wing policies, free community college, free health care, free child care, massive welfare, welfare payments, hundreds of billions in free money for utilities to shut down power plants. And that goes along with one to two trillion dollars in tax increases. Some, some of you may have heard the administration say this. Biden is trying to say with a straight face, he's trying to argue, he's trying to say that none of these budget busting welfare programs will cost anything because yeah, he plans to raise taxes to pay for them. Somehow he wants us to believe that it's all free. It's kind it's of like free. saying my Chick-fil-A meal was free because I paid for it with cash instead of with my credit card. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like, how dumb do you think we are? <laughs> Anyway, the bottom line is, you know, whether they pass this or not, the American people are smart enough to see what's going on. Biden ran as a centrist adult in the room and has governed as a wild-eyed Bernie Sanders, like super progressive liberal. And Democratic members of Congress are going to have to answer for that. Right now, it looks very good, like Republicans at least take the House. I've even seen Democrats calling out Biden on Twitter saying this is dishonest to say that this has, this is costing nothing because it's just, it's a lie. Let's I mean, when every time Donald Trump said something that was, you know, uh, verifiably wrong, you just, you know, the media was all over. This is a lie. And, and very few media outlets will do the same, you know, will, will do this, you know, be intellectually consistent with, with Joe Biden. But yeah, I, I think, that, you know, I, I would have never have guessed a year ago that Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema would be kind of my heroes for standing up to the <laughs> But let, let's not ignore the fact also that Bernie Sanders, um, he, he engaged in a huge faux pas this week. He published um, an op-ed in Joe Manchin's district, criticizing Joe Manchin. Yeah. Um, and you need to, under, our listeners need to understand, and you know this better than I do, Corey, the Senate is a very, you know, steeped in tradition. And so the tradition is if, you know, if Mike Lee was going, you know, especially if it's in your own party, but if Mike Lee was going to be going to a, an event in another state, the tradition of the Senate is he would call the senators in that state and say, hey, I'm going to be at, in your state. I'm going to be at this event just as a courtesy. Yeah. And is it OK? I mean, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and here you have Bernie Manchin going into Joe Manchin's state, publishing this very pro- liberal uh, agenda editorial and trying to get the Democrats to rise up against Joe Manchin. Well, Joe Manchin's taking this position because he knows his dis he knows his state, yeah. he knows his voters <laughs> and they're not, they're, they're centrists like, like him, which is why he won, uh, you know, uh, the, the elections that he's won. So this was stupid. And I mean, if Bernie thought that this was going to make him cave, I mean, what, what, a, I mean, do you feel differently? No, no. I mean, it's a fundamental misunderstanding of, of West Virginia, who 
I'm sure they're reading that saying like, yeah, Joe, that a boy. Good for you. (laughs) Yeah, he probably actually helped Joe Manchin. This past week, candidates posted their third quarter fundraising totals. Mike Lee reported he raised uh, reportedly raised seven hundred and seventy five thousand in the quarter. Allie Isom raised four hundred and ten thousand. That's her first reporting period. Becky Edwards raised two hundred and twenty thousand. Todd, those are some solid numbers, I think, from all three candidates for U.S. Senate. Obviously, neither challenger is likely to match Mike Lee's ability to fundraise as an incumbent. But do you think they're on track to be competitive? Well, yeah. Um, uh, well, yeah, I think that they're impressive numbers. And no, I, I'm just going to sound like a broken record. I, I don't think they're on track to be competitive. <laughs> um, and, and I say that because I really like Becky Edwards and I really like Ali Isom. I've known uh, both of them for over a decade. I've worked with Becky in the legislature, both fabulous people. I think they both do great in Congress. Um, but I just, as I've said at least six times on this program, I don't expect either one of them is going to be uh, competitive for Mike Lee. And, and let's not let's not pretend like there aren't Republicans who don't like Mike Lee. There are, um, and there and and almost 100 percent of the Democrats in the state don't like Mike Lee. The question are: Is there enough anti-Mike Lee votes to um, you know to for him to lose? And and the answer right now, unless something big happens. Uh, even with his Captain Moroni comment um, a year ago, um, I just don't think there's enough anti-Mike Lee votes out there um, to get, for a candidate to gain traction. And here, of course, we have Ali Isom and Becky Edwards and now Evan McMullen, uh, although he's going to be a general election independent candidate. They're kind of splitting the anti-Mike Lee contingency, which makes fundraising very difficult. I like what uh, what you put your finger on there, which is is there an, a large enough moderate contingent in the GOP electorate? Is it anywhere near large enough to topple an incumbent? And I mean, it's certainly not large enough to split three ways and, yeah. and also beat, beat Mike Lee. So I, I am, I am curious to see like, will any of the campaigns put something forward, give primary voters a reason not to support Mike Lee beyond just like he has the wrong tone or he's not moderate enough. Yeah. I, I, th- I don't think that's going to be probably going to be enough, but I mean, uh, that, that much money is certainly enough to compete in a convention. We know that their strategy is not to compete in the convention, though, but to collect signatures and compete in the primary. That yeah. obviously requires more money because you need to collect signatures is costly and putting commercials on TV, paid ads and so forth. Um, that's more expensive, well, I mean, but it definitely shows that these guys are legitimate candidates. Uh, Ali Isom and Becky Edwards, they're legit. We've seen challengers in the past that basically don't raise anything get a lot of media attention from the Salt Lake Tribune and, and quickly flame out. Yeah. <laughs> but um, so these guys are legit, but well, uh, they are legit. Um, so Becky's first quarter reporting was back on Ju- in, in July 1st. And so she raised 500,000, but I think um, she donated just under half of that. So Allie raised 400,000 and also donated some of that money to herself. So although Allie beat, Becky in the second quarter, you know, Becky is, as I think you've mentioned, has raised a total of 775,000 to Allie's 410,000. But of course, Mike Lee is blowing them out of the water with his fundraising and he's the incumbent. So he doesn't, you know, he already has the name ID. He's already won two statewide elections, you know, and, um, and so, I mean, an an incumbent may not need as much, uh, I'm sorry, a challenger may not need as much money as the incumbent, but 
um, I, I don't think um, it's going to be competitive. And I, I also want to point out two other things, Corey. Both Ali Isom and Becky Edwards are from Davis County. So in terms mm. of like your home base support, now they live in That's different a- cities. Uh, Becky's in uh, North Salt Lake, Bamako region, and Allie's a little bit north. Uh, I think she's in the Kaysville, Layton area. Uh, but, you know, it's your same home county. Um, and, you know, whereas Mike Lee lives uh, down in Utah County by you, I think. So, so that's that's a, a fascinating component. But the other thing uh, is, you know, th- this is a federal race. So I just want to remind people, you have these fundraising limits. And so if, if someone really likes Be- Becky Edwards, they're capped out at what is it, twenty nine hundred dollars? And so, yeah. if they, if they, you know, and then there's Utah has this, you know, three cycle thing. So if they gave all of the money they could to Becky in uh, in June or or July, they can't donate again next February. They can't donate again next June. And so the um, and you know the, the problem with these challengers is you run through your Rolodex pretty quickly. And and once you get all the money, all the low hanging fruit from your friends and family, and and and, and the people that just do not want Mike Lee reelected, uh, you run out of those people pretty quickly. But when you're going against a sitting U.S. senator, it's really hard to get the traditional you know uh, yeah. uh, donors to open their wallets because they don't want to show up on a report, you know, anti yeah. Mike Lee because they're doing the same math political calculations that I'm doing. And they know that Mike Lee is probably got a 97% chance of winning. So uh, they don't want to go on record as being anti Mike Lee. And so it's a fascinating conundrum to watch. Well, I think that's all. I think we've exhausted our topics uh, for today. All right. Thanks, Todd. Thanks, Thanks, Corey. Catch you next time.